Welcome, friends, fans, and colleagues to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Karen Tate, and uh, I am so glad to have you with us today. Uh, I am sitting high atop our mountain here uh, in California, and uh, I have to say, sometimes uh, the isolation here uh, makes it feel unreal uh, or surreal, you know, what is going on in the rest of the world. Um, you know, I, I'm so grateful uh, that so far, so good, uh, we have been relatively safe up here. And um, and I hope the same uh, for all of you. Uh, you know, please, uh, please stay safe. Uh, don't take any risks. Um, and we will come out on the other side of this, I'm sure. Uh, sometimes I even believe uh, we will come out better on the other side of all of this. And uh, I started the show out today, uh, as I often do, with Alea Deo's um, uh, song, uh, Time to Awaken, because uh, I feel like so much of what we talk about here on the show uh, is about uh, awakening uh, to new ideas. Uh, I've often said we have to rethink everything uh, if, if we want to change the world. Um, that old saying comes to mind, uh, you can't keep doing the same thing over and over and expect uh, anything to change, anything to be different. Uh, so yeah, uh, we do have to examine our beliefs, our actions, um, you know, our values, and um, you know our practices, and you know see what new things uh, we can incorporate that might uh, improve our lives. You know our quality of life. Um, you know that's another one of those things I think we have to think about more often. You know instead of normalizing abuse or exploitation, uh, you know maybe at the front of our mind we should always be thinking, well, how is my quality of life? You know, I don't think that's something uh, we ask ourselves uh, or our loved ones uh, often enough. Anyway, uh, today, um, uh, you know, of, of course, I think all of our shows are great. Uh, this one is no exception. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking to today's guest, uh, Elizabeth Meacham. Uh, she's a Ph.D. and environmental philosopher, teacher, healer, spiritual mentor, and musician. Uh, she's the founder and co-director of the Lake Erie Institute for Holistic Environmental Education. Uh, her workshops, training courses, and uh, individual mentoring sessions offer initiatory experiences that reflect her long-term engagement as a student of the earth and cosmos. Uh, right now she uh, is living in Cleveland, Ohio, and um, we're going to be talking about um, uh, her book, uh, Earth Spirit Dreaming, Shamanic Ecotherapy Practices. So, uh, Elizabeth, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you with us. Uh, I believe this is probably something new and fresh uh, for our audience. Uh, so why don't we just start at the beginning. Uh, what is shamanic ecotherapy? Well, <laughs> it's hard to answer that without telling my long story of spiritual awakening, but I'll try to 
do it a bit more briefly. So I came into my work as an environmental philosopher. I went to graduate school to try to explain a lot of really profound experiences I was having in nature in my 20s, which was a while back now. And I ended up moving from visionary environmental thought into eco-psychology and eco-therapy. And then through those years of practice and teaching and a really committed uh, meditation practice and spiritual practice with the earth, I had what I could only call, uh, in retrospect, a shamanic awakening. So the practices in my book tell my story, but they're also... um, a record of my unfolding spiritual development in relationship to the earth and the spirit guides that I began to encounter. All right. And well, um, and well, what was your background before that? Did you come from the typical Judeo Christian background or, or were you more, you know, pagan or, uh, you know, earth-based spirituality oriented or? Well, I have a very unique background in that my dad was a traveling evangelist. And when I was about 12, both he and my mom went to Episcopal Seminary. So early in my life, I had multiple perspectives. I went from more of an evangelical perspective of Christianity to a progressive view of Christianity. And then in college, I started... um, connecting with pagan beliefs and goddess spirituality, and that was a big gateway for me into new ways of thinking. And I was really into environmental activism. This was in the 80s. And I felt that the nature-based religions and paganism uh, really fit with my beliefs about how we needed to live in relationship to the earth and the changes we needed to make. So that was, I think, what started me on this earth-focused spiritual path. And was this something, you know, these experiences you mentioned, and, you know, I'm really interested in those, and uh, perhaps if you're willing, I uh, would invite you to share some of those experiences. Um, were, th- were those, um, I-, I mean, did, uh, were they spontaneous? Uh, uh, I mean, did, were you seeking them out, or, or did they just happen upon you? Uh, well, I came in, I'm relatively closely related to Edgar Casey on my grandmother's side. So I came in with a lot of natural clairvoyance, which was understood and supported in my family. Uh, and my dad, uh, evangelical Christian, had just an incredibly beautiful, loving Christ consciousness view of Christianity. So he taught me from a very early age that divinity is pure love. So I think his vibrational frequency, and then we would do a lot of singing outside um, in groups. I just, yeah, I started having spontaneous. I always had spontaneous. The veils have always been thin for me. Um, But then as a child, I just had these moments of awe, and they just continued throughout my life. Um, And then um, I sort of shut it down for a while and tried to be normal. Sorry, (laughs) Jenny. I tried to, I sort of shut that down for a while, but she would not be quieted and came back. (laughs) 
Well, and, anyway, you know, who's ahead. to say what's the real normal? Who's to say what's the real normal? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, we've been gagged and stifled and, uh, you know, told uh, nature isn't sacred. And, uh, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's the abnormal. Um, well, why don't you, uh, if, if, if you feel comfortable sharing, uh, maybe one or two of these experiences so people get more of a sense of, um, you know, what, what you're actually talking about so maybe they can see it with you. Okay. Well, I will begin um, with some of the earlier nature experiences that I was having in my 20s. I started a really deep uh, meditation practice in the Buddhist tradition in my early 20s, and I was doing a lot of mindfulness meditation, and I began doing that outside. And I I began to notice that I was experiencing my self slipping away and experiencing oneness more and more. And I was reading a lot of Joanna Macy at that time, so I was... Um, committed to experiencing the non-dual self and uh, dependent core rising that she talked about. And over the years, I started really feeling that I could uh, hear the trees. I started hearing trees speaking to me and singing to me and started to feel that I could really communicate with nature beings. And that went on for quite a while and deepened. And then one day I have a medicine wheel. I worked with mandalas for years. I never meant to do this stuff you call shaman. Um, But I have a large mandala. I call it a medicine wheel now over time. In my backyard, I have beautiful woods. And I have been working with that same mandala for about seven years and learning more and more with the nature beings that are around there. And the rocks communicate to me about the original dream of the earth. They really hold the memories of what the, the spiritual mission of the earth. So I really felt they were communicating that to me over time. And then one day, everything just, like, the veil just split, and I suddenly felt that I was watching body memories of the earth. I was watching beings walk by that no longer are here, and as if I was going back in time. And it just, Um, I started hearing what I now know were spirit guides and animal guides speaking to me. And then I started engaging, uh, after trying to sort that out for a while, I started engaging in some shamanic journeying to more consistently connect with these beings and figure out what they're trying to tell me. And what they told me is in my book. (laughs) And now it's my manual for how to be living my life. (laughs) Well, and, and of course, I don't want you to give that all away, obviously, uh, but maybe uh, pick one or two of the uh, things you feel like you, you know, might want to share here. Uh, you know, w- you know what, um, what messages, uh, you know, what wisdom, uh, you know, was um, shared with, with you by these, uh, by these spirits? Um, the most important thing is that love is a, a, the greatest power on the planet and that we, as humans, have the power to create the story of human life on the planet with how we are um, basically living in vibrational reality and how we're relating to the world. Um, so it was a lot of teaching me about how to be aware every moment of the stories I'm creating 
and perpetuating and forming with a lot of profound mindfulness and really learning to work with my own vibrational energy body from a place of love to create healing on the planet. Okay. And um, uh, you call your book uh, Earth Spirit Dreaming. Um, Why is that? So there's three parts. I learned over time teaching, I started putting this together, but then uh, the earth beings and spirit beings really helped me. They gave me that title, by the way, because I thought that was too weird and I'd never get it published. But it turns out I never got it published until I called it that. They gave me that title. So what I came to realize over time is there are three consistent steps to being able to be aligned with our full humanity so that we are really empowered to be conscious of how we are dreaming the stories of the earth, how we're dreaming the stories of our lives. So there's three steps, earth connecting, spirit connecting, and dream connecting. So in the first one, there's a lot of practices about how we connect deeply with the earth. These are sections in my book. Practices to connect deeply with the earth so we can wake up a lot of our nature sensitivities, our natural senses and abilities to connect with each other in the earth that have become dormant. And then the second part is spirit connecting, where we learn to experience ourselves as what I call the quantum self, where we begin to understand, to feel, and to work with vibrational reality. Uh, And I call it the quantum self because the, the quantum science is really the only thing we have, one of the things that's considered part of our rational lexicon. We really put rationality ahead of lots of things. It's, it's a really dysfunctional aspect of our culture. But the quantum self is radically nonlinear. It's the realm of magic. It's nonlinear. It's irrational. It's, it's magical. It's metasynchronistic. So there's a whole part on learning to ground ourselves and work in vibrational reality. And then once we are deeply connected with the earth and aware of ourselves and our impact and our influence as vibrational beings, then we can dream from a place of wholeness as complete humans, as really active, powerful participants and creating the stories of the planet and of our species. So it's Earth Spirit There's three different things that we're doing. And your book, of course, uh, lays out these practices. So uh, someone Mm -hmm. who uh, feels that they resonate with what we're talking about today could uh, follow the steps, so to speak. Yes, and I lay them out very, and I say in the book, the practices seem so simple to a Western rational mind. We think they really can't do anything. Uh, But if people do them consistently, it'll completely change the course of your life. I've seen it over and over with my students. Well, and and I have to ask, um, you know, because we we hear so much and read so much, and I interview so many people on the show who are former evangelicals or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Christian fundamentalists, uh, you know, and uh, you know, many of them uh, even come from congregations where, uh, you know, their their minister uh, even makes them afraid of stuff like yoga. Um, I guess mm-hmm. I'm wondering, you know, uh, how, you know, did you have difficulty reconciling uh, maybe evangelical Christian teachings with 
um, what we're talking about today and, you know, what's become such a big part of your life? I think I felt in my early 20s as I, once I left home and I was at college and I was becoming an environmentalist, um, I had a moment of real loss and break and a period where I thought, that's wrong, these beliefs are harming the planet um, and so many people and it's a system of oppression. I mean, I struggled with that for many years. Um, how have I reconciled it? I mean, I think there is, over time, I've come to really believe there's messages of love and messages of care for the earth and pretty much any religion we can find and it just has to do with what people are doing with these sacred practices that are given to us and often we warp them for our own ends. I'm sorry. Oh, we did you say we warp them? W-A-R-P? Yes. Through greed or capitalist systems or they become, instead of them informing us, our sacred texts, we begin to use them to control people over time. It's a human problem. Okay. So I've come to and, see and, and, that orientation. Sorry, go ahead, Karen. I'm sorry. Well, I was I was just going to ask you: Do you still identify as uh, as an evangelical? I mean, I I think most no. of the ones we see are are the loud ones out there, and and they probably mm-hmm. don't represent all evangelicals, but they kind of give evangelicals a bad name. I I wouldn't imagine an even hearing what you're talking about today come from the mouth of an evangelical. I No, I have not identified as an evangelical Christian since I was about 12. My parents left that group and went to Episcopal Seminary, which is a much more progressive um, form of Christianity. So no, I haven't identified as that for a long time. Okay. Also, when I was growing um, up, it was very different politically than it's become. Or I wasn't aware well, of it. Well, speak to that a bit. I was too young. We'll speak to that a little bit. Uh, well, so I married into a Jewish family. My husband is Jewish. And so I've, I've really, I consider evangelical to Episcopalian a complete jump in a religious perspective, even though they're both considered Christians. And I consider jumping from um, Christianity to really participating in Judaism. I feel like I have a lot of inside-outside crossover perspectives. But when I was a child, I didn't experience I wasn't aware of a lot of political talk. My dad ran, ran house church when I was a kid. I wasn't aware of politics being really central. And it could have been that I was just a child. Um, so having grown up in Iowa in a small town around evangelical Christians, now when I hear my friends really say, oh, that's awful, that's really controlling people's minds, or that's politically really dangerous, I'm I'm aware of, knowing a lot of evangelical Christians in the past. And I also know from doing a lot of eco-justice work um, that some people are like that, but there's a lot of people that aren't. So I tend to have a broader perspective having jumped through a variety of traditional religions and then also practice Buddhism and paganism, and I've been around. Yeah, it sounds well. Yeah, it, it sounds like you've, you've you've definitely benefited from this, uh, you know, this this cross section of uh, of, uh-huh. of spiritual 
uh, spiritual belief. And, you know, if, uh, if we all could uh, be so lucky, you know, uh, you know, I think it's, it's dangerous when we uh, grow up, live and die in the same little bubble and, uh, you know, never shall anything ever penetrate that, you know. Um, well, uh, what do you, I, I mean, uh, maybe there, there's not a label, and I mean, labels uh, sometimes are dangerous things, but uh, what, do you, what do you consider yourself these days? Um, oh, a child of the earth. I'm raising my children Jewish <laughs> because I, it's so much more pagan to me. I'm constantly telling my Jewish friends, this is such an indigenous religion, and it really follows the moon cycles. <laughs> the calendars all aligned with the moon and the harvest cycles. And so um, as a family, we practice Judaism. Um, so if there's a traditional religion I'm aligned with right now, it's, it's Judaism. Um, and then well, I just and think I, and I there's this beautiful... No, go ahead, Karen. I, I was going to say I, I agree with you, actually, uh, you know, on, on uh, partially, I guess, uh, you know, having having taken a lot of Kabbalah classes, I was actually mm-hmm. very uh, surprised at the the mysticism and uh, you know some of the teachings. Uh, in fact, uh, I said to one uh, woman one day uh, when my filter was off, uh, I said, uh, "Gee, do you realize some of the stuff that's in some of these books? Um, you know, pagans and and witches actually do as as practices." <laughs> and she looked at me like I had two heads, you know, uh, but they were, you know, they were, they were reading palms and faces and uh-huh. they were working with shadows and the moon and uh, reincarnation. I mean, I can't even remember it all now, but uh-huh. uh, I took, I, I mean, I studied with them for a couple of years because I was just amazed at the cross section. Um, but anyway, um, so, um, you know, getting back to your book, you know, Earth Spirit Dreaming, um, I, I, do you consider yourself um, a shaman? Uh, I, I mean, it seems like it to me, but does that uh, does that feel like it fits um, for you? I have struggled with that word because I did so much eco-justice work for so long, and when I was teaching environmental studies, I was um, doing work to support the Indigenous Environmental Network and first nations, people, and I did a lot of study in fracking. This is a complicated way of saying I was resistant to what seemed to me a possible cultural appropriation. But then I had an awakening ah, okay. to my own indigenizing experience. I, had an aw- I re-indigenized. And the only way you could describe what I was then working with was as shamanic practice. So, no, I do not consider myself a shaman. I think almost all Western people, as we're waking back up to earth, are like babies from an indigenous perspective. (laughs) I mean, I'm more connected than a lot of people I know or that I teach, but I still feel very much a baby and very much a Western person um, working daily to try to live a re-indigenized life. Well, and and I I don't know, just intuitively, the hit I get from you is you're really trying to reconcile your scientist self uh, with your mystic, with your inner mystic. Um, And uh, I don't know, I could be way off. Uh, I mean, I I barely know you, uh, but 
uh, that's just sort of the hit I get, you know, the vibe. Um, I don't, I'm not so much a scientist, but I did study traditional Western philosophy in graduate school. So, and I think that's the call of our culture because science is really our passionate, loving myth. I don't know if you've read Thomas Berry and Brian Swim. Science is our new, passionate, loving myth of the planet. Science is for Westerners how we um, have a story of where we fit. So I see that as a mythological progression for us and the deeper you go into it as we do into any human beliefs we hit the edge where all we can find is the mystery our minds can never understand everything but as i say we can always relate <laughs> we can't understand the great <laughs> no, I, I, so I, I, go ahead I was just going to say, no, I totally get that. I mean, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, I can't imagine some people's hair would be on fire with that thought. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I can go there with you, uh, most definitely. Um, so we're <laughs> going to take a break here uh, real quick. And uh, then we're going to come back and uh, talk, uh, talk a bit more about all of this. Um, uh, you know, I'd like to know about what kinds of practices are in the book and uh, how you went from being a, prof- a professor uh, to a shamanic uh, practitioner. And, um, you know, and maybe what these uh, kinds of practices can do for us in our lives. Sound okay? Okay. Looking forward to it. All right. Okay. And uh, we'll be right back after this word from Joe Parson. Let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is what Drusilla Pettibone said on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I don't think I can comment on it adequately until I've had a chance to watch it a couple more times. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example, the info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was obviously very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also so pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com.
Uh, Dancing with Gaia comes with a 45-page color mini book. And uh, as they said, uh, Dancing with Gaia is available only at dancingwithgaia.com. So uh, if you are um, tuning in a little bit late, uh, I am speaking with Elizabeth uh, Meacham, and she is uh, the author of Earth Spirit Dreaming, Shamanic Ecotherapy Practices. And uh, we're just about to start talking about how she went from professor to uh, shamanic practitioner. Elizabeth? Are you ready for me, Karen? <laughs> I sort of got inspired yeah. from that song. From the, the song was so beautiful. Um, it was a beautiful song. I'll later find out what that was. How did I go okay. from professor? Well, with a lot of difficulties. So I was teaching uh, environmental studies, and I was teaching um, a course I called eco-philosophy, and I was really struggling with how do you get people to really care for the earth and change what we do. We know what we need to do, yet it feels so challenging. And I found that telling them everything that was, telling my students everything that was wrong was very disempowering. And they'd heard all that. So I started really focusing what was right on, on what we could do and actions for the earth and a lot of amazing regenerative and sustainability projects. And that helped. But I also started taking them outside to do earth-based practices. And those were the things that lit them up. Those were the moments where something shifted. So I started doing more and more of that. <laughs> and pretty soon, if you're outside all the time with no books, they don't call it college. <laughs> so I was, I was going outside more and more and having these simultaneously, this spiritual awakening and this calling to um, one day it came to me in my medicine wheel that my job was to bring people together to sit in circles of rocks. <laughs> and I thought, how am I going to do that job? Like, and how will I live without a paycheck? Anyway, the long story um, made short is that I did leave my professor job and I launched a nonprofit institute. So now I'm teaching with people sitting in circles of rocks. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so all right. So I'm I'm imagining you with your uh, with your college class sitting uh, with rocks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, tell me one of the. You know, what what would you say to them? What would you try to have them experience? Um, I would do some sort of basic 101 ecotherapy things. We had some woods. I worked at a women's college, Ursuline College in Ohio. And we had some woods on the back of campus, and I would over time take them to the same place. They would each pick a special place that we would go to again and again so that they would start feeling the rhythms of nature and they would start feeling the rhythms of the seasons. And uh, we would just a lot sit there quietly. And then afterwards, I would say this may feel really normal now, but when you go back to, I talk about ecological consciousness and industrial techno um techno-industrial consciousness, I said, when you go back from this space, you will notice that you feel really different. So over time, they started wanting more and more of that feeling of feeling very at peace and very at home and very grounded. Well, and, and you know, I, as you're saying this, you've 
sort of, uh, in, in a way, given me some clarity about something. Um, about a year and a half ago, I moved up here to the mountain. I used to be a block off the ocean in Venice Beach, California, and it was utter chaos. And mm-hmm. uh, and I lived there for 30 years. So moving up to the mountain was um, a big change. And at first, it felt very isolating, and uh, I, you know, I just felt like a fish out of water. But the longer I was here, and the less I went down the hill uh, into civilization, so to speak, you know, into a big city because mm-hmm. I needed to drive an hour to get to a big city, I started realizing I didn't want that anymore. You know, um, that you know, this um, you know, being able to see the mountain and uh, enjoying uh, watching the leaves blow on the trees or the bunnies uh, go past the driveway, Uh, the silence of being up here, it uh, became, uh, you know, it it, it wasn't that, what did you call it, the techno-industrial world, Uh, it it was definitely yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so I, I, I totally get that. And, um, and, and we joke, those of us who live up here joke about how uh, we, we just don't really like coming off the mountain anymore. You know, we, mm-hmm. we avoid it and we only do it when we absolutely have to. And, uh, you know, so I, uh, I can relate. I, I, you know, what I'm saying is, uh, is, is I can relate and you, I don't know, you've kind of, uh, helped me, uh, see this a little bit differently um mm-hmm. so anyway um uh i mean you know maybe what we're talking about is obvious but i'll I'll ask the obvious question anyway um you know what do you feel these kinds of practices can do for us in our lives um you know realistically especially if we live in the middle of a city and we uh, you know, we don't get a chance much to be around nature. You know, we're living in a concrete jungle. Um, yeah, um, you know, and I mean, and how can we uh, maybe go to where you're saying if we live in that concrete jungle? Well, it's easier to get back to our who we're born as, these nature-connected beings when we go up to the mountain. Our whole culture has left the mountain and we're all longing to get back on some level, which is why we feel so much disease and struggle with meaning and then we try to fill that with consumerism and there's a lot of woundedness that we have and loneliness that we have because we're away from our mother, the earth, that is healed by reconnecting with nature and so my practice is I, I definitely address people that are in the city. Um, ecotherapy, that's just the first part of the book, is ecotherapy and ecopsychology. There's many studies that show how that can ease our depression, our anxiety, increase our overall physical health, lots of scientific studies. So there's practices that you can do in the city or out of the city where just every day you build a relationship with nature beings, or particular nature beings that are around you. And the way the practices work in my book is it's an everyday sort of consistent thing, even if you only have five minutes. This is, I call it eco-mindfulness. This is how we begin to develop this ecological consciousness, this awareness that we're embedded deeply in nature, which up on your mountain is a lot easier, which is what you're describing. True. Yeah. True. 
Um, but well, I, I have people I'm, bring things in from outside. I have people make baskets of nature things and bring them into their house and learn how to work with them with their bodies and uh, singing and lots of different things we can do to wake up our connection with the earth inside or out. So um, how would you say spirituality, uh, you know, can help with uh, environmental issues? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, should should we be focused on political activism instead? You know, I think we're a village for a reason, and everybody has their calling. I did a lot of environmental activism, and I worked as a professor doing a lot of research and activism around fracking, and I found found that for me uh, that was really spiritually and emotionally exhausting for me over time. So for me, doing spiritual activism for the planet and teaching other people to live in sacred reverence with the earth is my personal calling. But as Joanna Macy says, we have these three different things that we need to be doing, which is holding actions, stopping the madness and all of the things that are killing us and the planet. And then we have the activism of changing the political landscape. And then we also have Uh, The spiritual actions, which have to do with changing how we see ourselves, how we understand ourselves and our belief structures and developing a sacred relationship with the earth. So I'm in the latter camp. I'm what's called the deep green. (laughs) I left environmental activism. I got cracked back, my back. I, I was in so much pain. I couldn't even, like the pain for the world that I had doing that work, I just, I reached my limit with that. So, yes, I am now a spiritual activist for the planet. Well, I, I would imagine it's it's pretty it can be pretty demoralizing, and you would get burnout. I mean, I think about uh, you know the oh what was it the Keystone Pipeline activism, mm-hmm. you know, and how the how the government just um, ran it seems like just steamrolled over the activists. Uh, for the benefit of the corporation, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I mean, how how many times can you put your heart and your soul into something uh, to just uh, you know have injustice like that um, just just sap your sap your strength, sap your uh, your motivation? Uh, I mean, we're living in a really difficult time. I I think where uh, you know the benefit. Uh, in interests of corporations just trump uh, no pun intended uh, you know just trump all, <laughs> all all of which right you know um, so yeah. I, I can see uh, you know where where the job of an activist just uh, you can only do it so long mm-hmm. and we need all of us we have to create an entire new culture all of us doing what we're most called to do. And so for me, it's about creating these new, you would call them pagan tribal experiences of being in nature and what it feels like to be in community in that way. And that's the work on my life right now. But I certainly did a lot of environmental activism as long as I could. As right. long as I could. Right, right. 
Well, and, you know, and maybe that's part of our journey. You know, maybe we don't do the same thing forever. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we contribute by our own personal evolution. And, you know, I, I couldn't help but think, you know, I'm a film buff. And um, because you've been in this mindset for so long, um, I, I can't help but think about the, the movie Avatar that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that, that was Scottish Church. Yeah, and I yeah. think, you know, what you're talking about, this this other frame of mind, that you know, that's the kind of mindset or new normal uh, I think humanity has to um, almost adapt. You know, we have to become the blue people. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of us are. It, it's really phenomenal I'm sorry, how... What? how a lot of us already are becoming the blue people. Like I'm just blown away at how this movement of cultural shift and regeneration and love for the planet has expanded the amount of people doing this work. Well, and and I wonder, well, I want to ask you a couple things about that. First, before we totally get off of Avatar, uh, I just want to make the point that uh, that movie was so influential, and I think it resonated with so many people. I remember a representative for the Vatican. I mean, they, I think the Vatican was disturbed by the outpouring of uh, resonance for that movie. And mm-hmm. I remember when a, a representative for the Vatican came out and they felt they had to make the statement that nature will never replace religion. And, you know, nature's the only real religion I, I, I've mm-hmm. come to feel. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. they they felt very intimidated. I, it felt like to me, you know, it was a projection of their, um, you know, like the emperor had no clothes, so to speak. Yeah. Yes. And um, when we connect with nature, that's a religion of direct revelation, where nature is speaking directly of, of, to us. There are no power figures in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I wonder what you think about the deep adaptation movement, um, Elizabeth. Um, you know, the, the folks who say, um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, I, I, and I'm no expert, but it's sort of along the lines of um, it's already too late. We've passed the point of no return. Only no one has the guts to say that to the human masses. And we really should be starting to think in terms of, um, you know, uh, how we're going to, you know, restructure our lives. Uh, we should, shouldn't be uh, in college. People should be learning more blue-collar skills so that we can uh, survive uh, the, you know, the crumble of um, society, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I wonder if you have any thoughts about any of that. Um, I think about that a lot. I mean, our our global capitalist system has to end. It's you can't have a linear economy on a finite planet. So there is going to be breakdown. We see it happening. Lots of people that are not the one to the five percent are already suffering profoundly under the system and have been for a long time. And so I think people all over are creating a new way of living. Um, and I think that system is crumbling. 
Um, I tend well, to be more of an optimist, so I'm seeing the growth of the new. That's what I tend to focus on. But. Well, um, give us give us a little dose of optimism. What what good stuff are you seeing? Uh, you know, we could use it right now. I think a wonderful place to start is with Paul Hawkins' book, Blessed Unrest, where he began going around promoting his book, Natural Capitalism, around the world. And every place he went, people were handing him business cards. We have this grassroots group. We have this grassroots group. We have this grassroots group. We're, we're growing a new sustainable economy, a new local economy. We're working for ecological justice, social justice. And he started to be collecting thousands, up to hundreds of thousands of these business cards. And he started creating a database of this, what he calls the earth um, saving itself through the human action to protect our own species by creating these new ways of living. And I also taught sustainability for a long time. We call that more now regenerative practices because sustainability was sort of taken over by the capitalist systems. So I just know how much is going on in every town and every place to live closer to the land, to have local food, to have local economies. Um, And I'm really lucky in that sense that I've studied it, so I'm aware all the time of how many amazing things are happening. But I would would say to anybody that needs a dose of hope, um, look up Paul Hawkins, because he's really keeping track of this massive movement of projects and human creativity to create a new story for all of us. And is and are you is the, his last name? Are you saying Hawking like Stephen Hawking? H a w k i n g. K e n Paul Hawkins. H a w k e n. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Um, so, I mean, I think you're an example of it, but let's you know, let's just sort of punctuate the point anyway. Um, you know, can people practice um, what you're calling shamanic uh, shamanism or shamanic e- uh, ecotherapy and still, um, you know, without it interfering or running counter to their maybe traditional religion or personal spiritual practice? Um, yes, there's a point in the book where I call it shamanic ecotherapy because I do so much more really focused earth connection than a lot of people that call themselves shamanic practitioners. It's really ecotherapy with the shamanic piece added. But the shamanic piece is when we're communicating um, with nature spirits and ancestors of the land and with our spirit helpers. We all have spirit families. I found my spirit family through this process. So if you're Christian or you might call those angels, I think there's, you know, people would have to be um, open-minded and feel that they can expand. If, if they pick up the book, they're already seeking something beyond a very confined traditional religion. But all of this stuff is in the holy books, like you were saying. I mean, burning bushes and people rising from the dead and talking to spirits. This is not something that is not in our traditional text. It's that we, science has taught us that this can't be true. Our new religion has taught us this can't be true. Well, and and I think part of it too is, you know, patriarchal religions don't want us to have a direct connection to 
uh, I'm going to just call it uh, the divine, uh, you know, because that makes them irrelevant. And I think that's part of, uh, is a part of their problem uh, because, you know, why would we need a church? Why would we need a rabbi or a priest or mm-hmm. a minister? You know, I mean, uh, we just have to plug in ourselves. Exactly. That's direct revelation. We are built to receive the direction of the divine. We do it better in groups than alone, but we can do it without a priest. So I, I want to ask you uh, a couple things, and uh, and I don't know whether this w- has ever been anything you've looked at, but I'm curious because it's sub- subjects that come up occasionally on the show. Um, your thoughts on uh, sacred hallucinogens to make the connection versus uh, a natural, so to speak, um, and mm-hmm. in your travels of um, encountering I'll just call them loosely uh, beings or spirits. Um, have you ever encountered something that you would identify as goddess? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where do you want me to start? Um, plant medicines or encountering the goddess? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, start with plant medicines. Okay. <laughs> um, so I... In my 20s, and I am absolutely sure this was part of opening my doors of perception, I ran around behind the Grateful Dead and did a lot of hallucinogenic drugs. Um, given, And these were not in sacred settings. These were in party settings. Uh, given my natural proclivity to be psychic and clairvoyant, um, it was very clear to me I couldn't keep doing those drugs or I was not going to be able to come back. So, and I actually had a voice come to me and say, stop this now or you will get very sick and never be well again um, in my 20s. So I quit all drugs and I at that point set out to reach those states naturally, which is why I started meditating. And eventually now I do a lot of trance drumming and have lots of different ways to reach trance states. Um, I have a lot of friends who are committed to sacred medicines and I have complete respect for that. It's just not something I personally can do because I'm already so sensitive and so open. Um, I do better with singing and drumming and trance dancing and that sort of thing. Through which I've had amazing encounters with the goddess. (laughs) Well, tell us. We want to hear it. So I actually have a CD, which you probably don't know about, called Ecologos. Um, songs, poems, chants from the Goddess Project. So early, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I was just having this total download experience of the Divine Feminine and just seeing, I didn't really understand what was happening to me, but a lot of them came out in these songs. Uh, And as time has gone on, I certainly encounter expressions of the Goddess when I'm journeying, but I also feel a really profound, intimate connection with the consciousness and the blasting energy of Gaia. Like I feel this is what runs my institute. And I even tell my faculty, I say, this is not a linear process. We are not in charge. We ask the earth what we're doing. And uh, the power that flows from Gaia into this work is just, it's like riding this massive wave of energy. I try to just hold myself together. It's a really powerful this um, the Gaia Force. 
Okay. Does that well, answer your question? So I, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. But uh, let me just to clarify, you know, we uh, with our uh, with our monkey brains, you know, we need to. Um, you know, simplify things. And, you know, uh, over the course of years of talking about goddess, you know, I've talked about her as as deity, as archetype or role model, also mm-hmm. as ideals and values, you know. Um, and, you know, there's, there's always this kind of push-pull of, you know, is goddess, um, you know, uh, the one true uh, deity uh, and all of the different goddesses uh, that we name Isis or Kali or Mary mm-hmm. or Kuan Yin uh, are they facets of one diamond or like leaves on one tree um, I, I guess I'm just curious in your revelations um, do you have any thoughts along those lines I do. I have I have friends that have really studied in depth all the goddesses. I have friends that have specific encounters with Isis and other expressions of the goddess. Um, I didn't study goddess just like I never studied shamanism. Spirituality, it's just something that's happened to me sort of as a feral aspect of my own uh, evolution. Do I think they're facets? Um, I mean, as a philosopher, I've come to realize that I'm never going to be able to answer those questions. But my own personal metaphysics, <laughs> which helps my brain um, behave when I need to be doing this work, is I do tend to think that, um, yes, they're all expressions of an archetypal divine energy. But I also think okay. masculine and, and feminine are human, are human, are human differentiations. So I think that a very, what we think of as a very powerful feminine energy can also have what we might perceive as masculine aspects. I think we're kind of immature in that way in our Western culture, the way we divide those things up, the gender oh, expression. Oh, yeah, yeah. I- yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think, for instance, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, you know, you look at Kali or you look at Sekhmet, you know, they uh, versus how we maybe look at, say, Kuan Yin or Mary, um, you know, you could almost look at that as a masculine versus uh, mm-hmm. feminine aspects of, of the divine, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think we Um, particularly need them as women that have been oppressed for tens of thousands of years. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And, yeah, I mean, we we need both, you know. Uh, I mean, or or else we're not whole, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, just a little bit off the off the subject here. Uh, I, I I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, uh, dwell here for just a moment. It sounded like you said, if I understood you correctly, that you're um, uh, related to Edgar Casey. I am. Mm-hmm. The well, story I, in my family. He's my grandmother's cousin. And I, okay. I haven't tracked that down on Ancestry.com or anything. All right. Well, um, I guess I just wonder, you know, uh, you know, maybe he was a distant relative, uh, maybe not. Uh, I, I can't tell from what you said. Uh, but uh, what's your assessment of him? 
Um, my, I love Edgar Casey, and it helps me understand myself to think that, you know, maybe he's my second or third cousin um, to help me be a way in our culture that people often will find weird. Um, and it sort of helped me understand my own natural clairvoyance and things that happen to me and seeing spirits and that sort of thing. But it also created a culture in my mom's family where a lot of people had unusual abilities. Um, you might also say we're a family of witches. I mean, there's lots of ways to describe it, having all of these abilities right. that are still exist for people, um, but have had to go underground. Yeah. And now's the time that we need yeah. them. We need them now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, and I always wonder, you know, about people like Edgar Casey, for instance. I mean, I, I think he's an intriguing and compelling, um, you know, character, person. Um, and, you know, there's the stuff that gets written and the stuff that doesn't get written. And, you know, I'm always uh, most uh, curious about the stuff that doesn't get written. Um, is there is there anything about him that, um, you know, maybe the general public doesn't know that you think might be important or interesting to share? There is not lore in my family about him, just that he was closely, relatively closely related to my grandmother. I can't remember if he was a first cousin or a second cousin. Um, but when I'm reading his readings, I'm like, what is all this stuff that's really going on that is not here? <laughs> I feel the same way when I read that, um, as if there, somebody was editing out. Things. Yeah. I always get that feeling when I read the Edgar Casey writings. Um, so where, because where do you think that was channeling? There had to have from. been a lot more information that was coming through than that wasn't recorded. I'm sorry, what did you say, Karen? Uh, well, no, I, I'm, I'm glad you finished your sentence. Um, yeah, so you felt like there was a lot more there. I mean, I know when I was re uh, uh, researching my Sacred Places book and I was trying to find uh, Sacred Places of uh, Hawaiian goddesses, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, that's when it dawned on me that, you know, Victorian uh, Judeo-Christian ethnographers were uh, editing indigenous people's mythology, you know, because mm -hmm. it went against their Judeo-Christian beliefs, you know, so we we didn't get the real stuff. And, uh, oh, nothing makes me madder than that sort of thing, <laughs> you know, because we well, yeah, like we were through the crap. from aliens. <laughs> we're descended from aliens. That was one of the things that was edited out. If you want to go a little across what people are comfortable talking about, that's in a lot of the indigenous mythology. Um, okay. Well, yeah, and, and I, I guess yeah. I was – you startled me a little bit with that. I, I, I mean, I, I tend to believe that, but I didn't uh, – but the fact that you went there, uh, it kind of gives me a, a – you know, I breathe a sigh of relief there because I sort of think that too. Uh, I, I think that's been uh, deliberately omitted from humanity's history. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, people like maybe Zachariah Sitchin or ridiculed when, you know, maybe what they're talking about is closer to reality. Yeah, I met two completely different groups of indigenous people from completely different parts of the world last spring at Sintuan at the International Climate Change and Consciousness Conference where they both shared with me their very deep myths of 
they're they're people being descended from star people, people from the stars. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they say any more about? Uh, yeah, um, I would. Well, you know, yeah. I, I would like to see that. Wait, what did they say about the star people? I mean, uh, is is well, it the kind of shy. is it like the? Well, the Aboriginal people that were there, Auntie Pat Dobbs, I spoke with her. She's an artist, Aboriginal artist, and she was telling me about the symbols. And they were shy in the larger groups they were teaching. Um, Hairu Kuntanawa from the Kuntanawa people in Brazil, he was not shy about it. But the, the, the people from Australia, the Aboriginal people, were definitely shy about it. They played a video to tell their myth, which tells me what kind of reception they've been getting. Um, where they came from the star people, and the reason that their pictures look the way that they do in their symbols is that they're looking from above, from the star people, the eyes of the star people. So that was a beautiful thing to learn. And then Hairu Kuntanawa from uh, the Brazilian rainforest said that all of us are from star people and that we're all trying to get back to this knowledge. And so he sang a song that they sing to take us back to being the star people. And he said, when we sing it, we actually, if we sing it long enough, we can actually travel back to the stars and come back. Interesting. Um, Well, and did you get a sense that the star people, and I'm using air quotes here, uh, is it the same species or multiple species that may be affected different parts of the world? Or have you thought about that? Yes, I have thought a lot about this. This is one of those areas where I think um, we, under, we understand species and kinds of beings in such a heavy physical reality kind of way that it can be hard for us as Westerners to come up with a story that doesn't fit into our physical science ideas. In other words, no, I don't know. <laughs> I have guesses, <laughs> um, and but I've encountered these beings doing journeys, and I know a lot of people that do plant medicines encountered these things. Okay. And do, oh, another and great movie. While we're talking about, about movies, Contact. Oh yeah. The movie Contact. Yeah. They encountered these beings, these star people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was uh, I, I saw that again recently, and I and I looked at it with such totally different eyes than the first mm-hmm. when it first came out. Um, so, uh, just last question on on Edgar. Um, what do you do? You have a, I mean, do you believe that there's a thing, uh, such a thing as the Akashic record, uh, and do you think that's what he was tapping into? Um, yes, and yes, I do. That's not my personal gift to read the Akashic Record, although it seeps in for me sometimes. But yes, I do. So you believe there is such a thing. And, and do you define it as like the, the repository of all knowledge, past, present, and future? Um, yes, with a very expanded view of what we understand knowledge to be. I'm, I'm constantly saying in a Western perspective. Uh, as <laughs> okay, the moment okay. that I feel I've slipped into it, it feels more that I'm running, that's when I, in my book I talk about uh, the quantum self. I feel as if I've slipped into some place where the past and the future is, I'm in the past and the future simultaneously, and I'm sort of 
to me, it feels more like the body memories of the earth. But I think it's, uh, and I'm very Jungian, so I think of it as a collective unconscious way, a place where we're accessing the collective unconscious. But it's knowledge so far beyond just human knowledge. It's knowledge of all the spirit beings Mm. that are connected with the planet. Mm. Well, and you, you just said something that reminded me of a, of another recent movie, and I'm struggling for the name of it, uh, but it was about these beings that came to Earth, and they were trying to uh, give us this, uh, this information, and then the whole story was about, uh, was it Maud Adams? Maybe she was uh, the, mm-hmm. the female lead. Uh, she was a linguist, and she was trying to interpret their language. Oh, arrival. And she, arrival. Arrival, yes. Uh, because yeah. that concept of, you know, I mean, and that's what it came to at the end, that they were getting past, present, and future um, simultaneously. And I was just so yeah. fascinated by that. Yeah, well, I've gotten to those states, but just very briefly. Um, But I know people that get in those states a lot longer than I do. It can be very disorienting. I mean, you sort of have to really, and I talk about this in my book, practice going into those states of mind and coming out of those states. Well, they're really like physical, spiritual states, not just mind states. Uh, Because it can be hard to be moving in and out of what I think of as shamanic reality or non-ordinary reality. And our everyday techno-industrial life where I have to go in the kitchen and feed my children and help them with homework and pay the bills and do my taxes. Right. Right, <sighs> right. Because it's, it's, you know, we can't be monks living in a cave and just, you know, kind of living in that, uh, that altered state all the time. Uh, we have to come back. Learn to, yes, carry, sort of live with these multiple modes of consciousness. And that's what we're doing on the planet right now. I think is trying to figure out how to be the new selves we need to be while struggling with the old selves that no longer work. I think individually on the micro and macro level, the the pandemics really brought that to the fore. Agreed. Agreed. Um, well, Elizabeth, um, wow, you really gave me a bang for my buck here. Uh, this has been an incredible <laughs> conversation. I've, I've really, really enjoyed, uh, you know, the, the, the rich conversation, um, you know, we were able to have and the, the depth of, um, you know, of, of your knowledge and experience. Um, I've had great guests on the show, but I think you rank up there as one of the best. So I'm really glad we got a chance to, uh, to chat today day. And um, I will give you the last word here. I mean, we've talked about so much, but is there anything you want to say that you feel is important that, um, you know, we haven't really touched on? Uh, Well, first of all, I want to thank you. This is a wonderful conversation. It's very nice to feel like I'm with a like-minded, like-hearted person. Um, That's really a blessing. I would love to share that I do training courses online, and people can learn about them at shamanicecotherapy.com. And I also, most importantly, want people to know that there are beings all around us that want to support us in every moment, and they want to help us, and all we have to do is ask. We have all the guidance we need to find the answers and the direction and face the profound challenges that we're dealing with right now. The Earth, and I had an appearance with a goddess recently, in a journey, and she said to me, the earth more than ever wants to speak with us right now and show us how to get through this into a new place in our life. 
uh, you know, would would in would a positive uh, idea, you know, uh, to to leave us with? Thank you, uh, because uh, certainly I think, uh, as you said, uh, you know, we we need that now. Uh, you know, we need to know we're not alone in this uh, because mm-hmm. shoot. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's like, I think for so many right now, it's like, can we just get past November? <laughs> can we just make yeah. it past November without, mm-hmm. without uh, you know, too much more destruction? Uh, and then, mm-hmm. then maybe we can take a breath. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Elizabeth, thank you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you so much, and, and and listen, I, seriously, I mean this. If uh, you ever want to explore any of these subjects in any more depth, uh, and you know, we just uh, you know chat on the show about any of these subjects that we just touched on and didn't really get a mm-hmm. chance to go deep, uh, let me know. Uh, I'm I'm definitely okay. up to it because, like you said, I en- I enjoy speaking to like-minded people I can learn from. Mm-hmm. So um, you're it's always really welcome good. back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Karen. Um, and I will. Okay, I look forward to you. checking out all the resources you're sharing. Thanks so much. Take care. All right. All right. Bye bye. Okay. So let me just give you her uh, name and website again. Uh, it is Elizabeth um, Meacham, uh, and uh, the book is Earth Spirit Dreaming. And her website. Um, there might be a typo here, but it looks like it's her name, elizabethmeacham.com, elizabethmeacham.com. However, in which she sent me, there's not an M uh, at the end of Meacham. So it might be elizabethmeacham.com. It's Meacham. I am not uh, not totally sure. Oh, it is Meacham. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I didn't realize you were there. And that goes to shamanic ecotherapy, so they all go the same place. Good, 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 good. All right, thanks for clearing that up. Um, all right, well, um, dear listeners, uh, thank you so much uh, for tuning in with us today, and uh, I will be back uh, again with you on Friday uh, at 11 a.m., so please do uh, tune in. Uh, actually, next week I will be having a show on Friday the 22nd at 11, and then uh, on Sunday at uh, 11. And if you uh, would remember, Remember to click the follow button on the show page there on Blog Talk. Uh, you won't have to remember stuff like that because you will get a reminder in your email inbox uh, of exactly what the topic is, and you will get uh, a little button that you can click on that will take you directly to the show, uh, and you can listen live or later from the archives. All right, well, that about does it for me. I want to thank my guest, Elizabeth Meacham, for um, you know all the wonderful wisdom she imparted, uh, important stuff. Uh, we need to uh, evolve and create our new normal. Uh, that's uh, certainly for sure. And uh, until uh, we meet again, um, may Isis embrace you in her golden wings. And remember, please, what we nurture, what we tend to thrives, and what we neglect withers. All right. Uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>